Our scripture this morning comes from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Now, most scholars believe that this letter wasn't actually written by Paul, but by one of Paul's associates following his death. And some scholars have concluded that this letter probably wasn't even written to the church in Ephesus or a specific faith community, but that it was more of a general letter to the church, reinterpreting Paul's understanding of the gospel in a new situation. It was a way of expressing the faith and the understanding of what it means to be both church and a Christian to a new generation of believers. One of the most noticeable differences in this letter from Paul and the letters believed to be written by Paul himself is a shift in focus from the expectation of Christ's return to the present experience of Christ in the Christian faith. Unlike Paul's epistles, this letter mentions heavenly places and speaks of Christ as the head of the church, which is his body. It describes a new way of living. In fact, if you take away the beginning and the ending of the letter, it really reads more like a sermon to a Christian community in general, rather than a letter written to address a specific problem or concern. So today, we have a sermon about a sermon, which serves as a good reminder that from the beginning generations of our faith, we have been trying to understand how to live a new life in Christ, how to follow Jesus's teachings and live as God calls us to live, as people who walk in love. As the writer of Ephesians reminds his faith community, may we also be reminded that through our baptism, we have been taught to change the former way of life that was part of the person we once were and to renew the thinking in our minds by the Spirit. We have been taught to clothe ourselves with the new person created in God's image in justice and holiness. Today's scripture reading is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, through chapter 5, verse 2. Here begins the reading. So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing, rather let them labor and work honestly with their own hands, so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up, as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption." Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. 
Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Here ends the reading. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Following Christ matters. Following Jesus's teachings matter. If we claim to be Christians, it means that we try our hardest in every aspect of our life to walk in God's love. When we do this, our lives are transformed and the lives of those around us are transformed as well. This isn't something that we can do alone or that we are expected to do alone. God created us to be in beloved community with one another. Jesus taught us how to live in beloved community and how to care for one another. The writers of the epistles and our text today remind us of these teachings and offer further instruction on what it means to live in community as those who claim to be followers of Christ. I imagine that those intending to hear this letter, like all of us, might have been struggling to live out that call. Community life isn't easy, and living as God's beloved community is even more difficult. At the beginning of this pandemic, we had to reimagine how we could safely live in community with each other. And then, as things began to open up and cases dropped, we had to once again reinvent what community looked like in many circles in our lives. And it has not been easy. I was talking to a friend earlier this summer who was working at a camp. And they said that everyone, kids and adults, seemed to leave their social skills at home. Last Sunday, I returned from our high school service learning trip to Iowa. It was one of the most rewarding and fun weeks I have had over the past year. And at the same time, I cannot remember the last time I felt so exhausted. I'm an extrovert. I get energy from being around other people. But the Monday after the trip, I crashed. We are out of practice of living in beloved community. Despite our best efforts, we have all experienced isolation this past year and a half. Maybe you've lived alone. Maybe you've worked from home. And maybe the only three people you saw for an extended period of time were members of your immediate family. No matter your experience, transitioning back to community hasn't been easy. And part of that is because our communities look different than what they were before. We now find ourselves at another point of transition. We are on the brink of a new school year. And whether or not you are going to school or you work at a school or a family member is attending school, you can feel that energy. Something new right around the corner. 
And yet, that excitement has been dampened because of the rise in cases and hospitalizations due to the Delta variant. We so want to put this pandemic behind us, but we just can't yet. And it's affecting God's beloved community. Richard Ward writes that there is nothing wounding the body of Christ today that the writer of this letter hasn't seen. Through all of the ongoing changes of what life looks like at work, school, camp, church, grocery stores, social gatherings, etc., etc., as followers of Christ, as members of God's beloved community, we are called to navigate this journey in a different way because we belong to each other. What does that mean? It means that the divine in me recognizes the divine in you and in everyone that we encounter. It means that as Christians, we are woven together by the Spirit as one body in Christ, connected by our baptisms and called to live a life rooted in gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, unity doesn't mean uniformity. We are all uniquely created in God's image with our own beliefs, ideas, understandings, and with the free will to make our own choices. Living out true authentic, beloved community involves vulnerability. Creating spaces where we can be honest and open about who we are and what we are experiencing. Now, if we do that, there will be growing pains. This passage acknowledges that anger will be present. The instruction here is how to deal with that anger. That response is what marks the transformed and transforming community. As the writer of this letter to the Ephesians reminds us, the first step is naming it. When we speak truth, we must do so in a way that promotes peace and justice, and we must give and receive that truth with arms of grace. That's really difficult to do when you're angry, especially when that anger stems from a place of what we perceive to be an injustice. Anger isn't a bad emotion. There are things in this world that should make us angry, Anger can lead to the type of transformational justice our world needs to truly heal. In fact, Jesus got angry. Remember that time he flipped the tables? However, in our anger, we must not sin. 
We can't turn our backs to the life of love God is calling us to live. We can't respond to evil with evil. We can't let our anger brew over time until it consumes us. Most of us have probably experienced how unresolved anger destroys relationships. And I believe that's why the author of this letter tells the church to not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, those of you that are married have probably been advised to not go to bed angry. And you know that that can't always happen. Sometimes it's best to walk away, take a breath, and cool down so that we don't say something we'll, we'll regret. I think that's the let no evil come out of your mouth, but only what is useful for building up part of this passage. However, we must circle back around and finish the conversation. Not letting the sun go down on our anger can also mean having the self-awareness to ask ourselves, where is this anger coming from? And how can I respond in a way that is useful for building up this relationship, for building up God's beloved community? How can I put away my bitterness, wrath, anger, and malice so that I can respond from a place of kindness, tenderheartedness, and mercy? This text invites us to do what society has conditioned us to believe is unnatural. Forgive. But you see, God has not just called us to forgive. God has created us to forgive. Without forgiveness, beloved community can't exist. When we strip away the falsehood and speak truth, that truth is not just our words, it's our actions. We are stripping away the behavior, expectations, and normalities placed on us by society. Speaking the truth to our neighbors means living as the person God created us to be, as beloved children, living in love as Christ loved us, forgiving one another as we have been forgiven. Living out beloved community requires effort. Today, it might require the humility to bite our tongue. Tomorrow, it might require the courage to speak out or circle back around to that conversation we've been avoiding. But one thing remains consistent. We must be willing to forgive over and over and over again. Those of us who have been baptized or have confirmed our infant baptism have made a commitment to live this way, to be imitators of God, embodying a love that sacrifices 
for the good of others. May it be so. Amen.